lecture here. We're in part number four of a six-part series, and we're talking about something that I am not an expert about, so it would, which could be almost anything. But we're talking about some relationship issues that we have in life, not just marriage. Any relationship could be with a parent, a child, sibling, uh, co-workers, um, people in your neighborhood, could be your frenemies, doesn't matter. All of these relationships apply because God has created us as relational people. And I'm trying to teach you something that has been taught to me. I'm doing my best, or that I'm trying to learn from people who have taught it to me. But I'm trying to learn that, but I'm doing my best to transmit this to you as accurately as possible. Because there are so many things in this that have applied to my life, and I'm trying to utilize as tools in my life. And I think that it can help you as well and encourage you. You know, none of us like to feel vulnerable. We don't like to be open to that. Revealing our heart to somebody who we are on the inside, our ego just can't take that kind of vulnerability because our ego asks this. It says, what if they what if me? What if they hurt us? What if they don't love us back? What if they take our weakness that we have revealed to them, and they actually use it against us. And we just can't risk that. Our ego will not allow us to risk that. And so our ego um, kind of takes charge, and it begins to put on different types of armor. And we learn how to do this as a very young child. And we grow up with that. And our ego then takes parts of our personality and begins to weaponize those and use them as weapons, all trying to protect us. And you know what happens? Without us really even knowing it or being aware or giving permission, the wrong emotions in our lives begin to drive our lives. The wrong emotions begin to drive our thinking in our lives. And the wrong emotions begin to drive our behaviors. And they begin to drive our, uh, our, our entire life while at the same time tied up in the trunk is our rational thinking. The ego that we have is always the enemy of our soul. The ego is always the enemy of our current situation. Our ego is always the enemy of our future. It is the ego that causes us to pretend that everything's okay. It's the ego that, that um, drives us to keep doing things so that we can impress other people. It's the ego that drives us to please other people so that they can be okay with us. It's the ego that drives us to assemble and to put on all of the armor that we put on. And it's the ego that drives us to weaponize our personality. And we think that it is protecting us. It's that ego that loves all of the pats on the back that we can get. It's the ego that loves to be accepted the ego has no interest in being vulnerable, and the ego has no interest in being open. It only has interest in protection 
and uh, admiration. And the ego will do almost anything to keep from feeling the discomfort of vulnerability. Because the ego fears. What will they think? The ego causes us to move in the opposite direction. Instead of being curious about someone and about how they're feeling and about what's going on, the ego leads us to turn away from them because we think the ego says, well, if you turn toward them and you get curious about what they're feeling, what if they tell you something about yourself that you're uncomfortable with? And the ego is actually just a very tiny part of who we are, but it pretends to be very big. And in comparison, the ego is tiny compared to our soul and our heart. But the ego pretends to be enormous. The ego really is driven by one key word. We've talked about that the previous three weeks, at least mentioned it, and that key word that drives the ego is shame. And shame says to the ego, I'm flawed. And because I am flawed, I have to hide from everyone or I won't be loved. And ultimately, because I am so flawed, really, I don't even deserve to be loved. And I don't really even deserve to be happy. That's what shame says to my ego. Everything my ego says to my mind leads to more shame, actually. It says, I am so flawed, I don't deserve love. I don't deserve to feel a sense of belonging. I don't deserve to have any connections, really, with other people. And that's why the ego has led me in my life and you in your life to develop the armor that I use and to use my personality that I use. All driven by shame through the ego. So starting as very young children, ego assembles our armor that we put on and develops our weapons that we use. For some of us, we learned how to just kind of drift into the background and fade into the background, hoping that we just won't be noticed. And we weaponize our personalities, thinking that our ego is protecting us. But this morning, we're going to talk about these, and I think we can summarize it by saying this, that these are weapons of massive self-destruction. And these weapons are fueled by shame, and they're fueled by our ego. But if we're going to become the people that God has designed us to become, who he has created you to be, then we must lay down this armor. We've talked about it for three weeks, and today we're talking about laying down some weapons and allow some vulnerability in our lives. Allow our true, authentic self to be seen. So here's how we're going to do this today. We have a list of weapons to kind of run through. I may delete a couple just for time. 
where we're going to run through a list of weapons, and then we're going to use a, a verse here because Paul said, you know, that's an old way of life. There's a better way to live. And here's how he says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Paul says, but now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. And so we're going to dig into the verses that come after this, and we're going to learn a way that is best of all. The same passage we've been using for this whole series, but we're going to give you a weapon that we use in our personality. Then we're going to give you a verse where Paul says, but this is a better way to live, a way that is best of all. And then we're going to give you perhaps a better way to live as opposed to the weapon. So we're just going to do that. We're going to run through a list of weapons, a verse, and then a better way to live. And then we'll tie it all together at the end. And as you're listening, don't listen for the person sitting beside you and think, oh man, I wish, I hope they hear this because that's really them. <laughs> don't listen for them. Don't listen for the person you wish were here today that is not. Let's listen for ourselves. None of us have all of these weapons. Most of us have more than one. And this is just a small fraction of the weapons available to us. We're just going to give you a list of some this morning. So let's listen today for ourselves. Here is the first one. We're going to go as long as my voice will or the list will allow or the time will allow. We're going to Whichever gives out first, that's where we're stopping. Our first ego weapon this morning, we're going to call it collecting trophies. Our ego leads us to perform. Perform, perform, so that we can collect trophies. Because the more trophies I collect in this life, the more achievements I make, then I'm able to say, look, look what I have done. Look at my trophies. We are able to sit down and I can talk to you about my trophies that I've collected. Look, see, this is proof of how great I, I am. This is proof. Now, here's a problem, too, though. If you get a trophy, I don't really like that. I have trouble being happy for you because if you get a trophy, that means I have lost. Even if we were not even in the same competition, for you to get a trophy, it means maybe you're getting ahead. So I need to collect all the trophies that I can collect. And Paul says, wait, 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 that's not really a great way. And here's why. Because love is not jealous. And love is not boastful. And so maybe instead of using the weapon of collecting trophies, maybe a better response would be for us to give trophies. To learn how to cheer someone on rather than for me seeking to be admired by you. That's really the only way that we can continue to grow if we can learn how to celebrate other people around us and perhaps even learn how to help them win 
to cheer for them. Because Paul says, love is not jealous or boastful. All right, here's the next ego weapon. The weapon that says, I'm right. Hey, I'm right. It's the weapon that says, I know. I know it all. And here's the phrase that you will hear attached with that so often. It's, it's this. Yeah, I know. Whatever you say. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It may be something I have not done. And you're telling me, here's what I need you to do. And you know what the phrase is? Because I know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Clearly, I didn't know. I wasn't doing it. But what do I say? Yeah, yeah, I know. I got that. Yeah, I know. Because I have to be right. If that's the ego weapon I'm using, I have to be right. So yeah, I know, of course. Yeah. Oh, I know. And I will wear you down until, if we're in a conflict of any kind, I'll wear you down until you can admit that I'm right. And I won't stop. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, I know. Because I know, and you don't know, so clearly, I know. And maybe you don't admit I'm right, but I just wear you down to the point of exhaustion and you just give it up. Either way, I win, right? Because I'm right. You know? My pride, if this is me, the ego weapon of I'm right, if my pride will not allow me to be wrong. My pride will not allow it. I can't be wrong. I have to be right. My pride actually will not even allow me to learn anything. Do you know why? Because I have to already know. Yeah, I know. I can't learn anything because if I don't know it already, then I'm wrong. But I'm right. So I can't be wrong. And Paul says, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. He said, love is not proud. Love is not proud, he says. So instead of the weapon of I'm right, perhaps a better response is getting it right. Because to get it right is a different focus than saying, yeah, I'm right. No, instead I want to get it right. And to get it right, I have to become a learner. I have to begin to concentrate not on being right, but to concentrate on getting it right. And in order for me to get it right, very possibly, instead of having the answers, I need to have the right questions to ask if I want to get it right. To get it right, it is more important to ask a question than it is to give an answer. And I have to make learning about you, learning about the other person, a priority. And if I'm learning, I am admitting I don't know. So I have to stay curious about them and about what they're feeling. And about what they're experiencing. I have to stay curious. Just perhaps. Being a better you. May require you. To understand them. More. Just possibly. Instead of being right. Maybe I need to get it 
right. Here's the next ego weapon. Sarcasm. This is kind of difficult. Ego really kind of hides behind sarcasm. It makes us feel stronger, sarcasm does, by disguising our own weaknesses and magnifying and pointing out yours and making fun of yours. Sarcasm is bad enough when we're face-to-face, but it's even worse when it's sent through a text message or it's sent through an email. And I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't know if this was a fact or not. I, I looked it up when I was told this, and it's true. Sarcasm, our word, our English word for sarcasm, comes from a very ancient word that means to tear flesh. Sarcasm is an enormously powerful ego weapon because it is so easy to use and it is so cheap, so cheap, but so devastating. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Love is not rude. Love is not rude. So instead of the weapon of sarcasm, perhaps there's a better response way to live, a way that is best of all, and that is through kindness. Through kindness. Instead of sarcasm, we need to be clear. Clear. Don't just drop a sarcasm grenade. No, 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 no. He said, let's let's be clear. Let's say what we mean with kindness. And say what we mean with hope. Mean what you say. Be clear. Often someone will drop a sarcasm grenade and if it does not go well, they just simply kind of brush it off and they say, oh, oh, yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. And they make you feel completely stupid or like an idiot for you to think any other thing other than that they were just kidding. You shouldn't think anything else. They were just kidding. It's dumb of you to think anything else. But there's a better way. Clear is kind. We talked about that last week. But be kind in your clarity. At the heart of sarcasm is ego. And despair. We're in despair meaning this. That we feel like tomorrow is going to be as miserable as today. That's despair. But kindness offers hope. If we have hope it means this. It's not like oh I hope I'm going to win the lottery. Because we understand we're not going to win the lottery. The odds are no. The kind of hope that we have, that we're talking about, is a hope that says, yes, there's a clear goal, and I see a clear path toward that goal. And if I stay on that path consistently, I can get to that. That's the kind of hope and kindness that we're talking about. But if we're allowing the weapon of sarcasm to take cheap shots at the people around us. We cannot reward that. We have to reward clarity with kindness and genuine connection. Here's another ego weapon. 
This summarizes my life, this next one. The ego weapon of living to work. And it says, if you are not exhausted, you have not worked. The more exhausted you are, that means the more productive you are, which means the more self-worth you have. And here's a problem. When our worthiness is tied to our productivity, then we lose the ability to slow down. We lose the ability to rest. There can be no rest if my self-worth is tied to productivity because if I'm not producing, I am not worthy at all. There's no time for rest. I have to produce. There's no time for play. I can't play with the kids. I have to produce. Everything else outside of work is a waste of time. And our ego is demanding more work, more productivity, more and more. Our ego is demanding, it's my way, more, more, more. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Love, he says, does not demand its own way. And so perhaps, perhaps instead of the weapon for living to work, we need a better response that says this, I'm going to work in order to live. I'm going to learn with God's help and leading how to have a balanced life that includes rest and it includes play and it includes recovery. When I heard this next phrase, it hit me and cut me deeply with the truth. The opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression. And boy, don't I know it. The next ego weapon. Magnifying my perfect image. Magnifying my perfect image. Now behind this is the thought that says this. Don't fail. Don't fall. Don't fail. If I'm perfect, or if I can make you believe that I'm perfect, you will approve of me. And that is nothing more than shame talking. It says, I am what I accomplish. And therefore, I have to please everyone around me and be perfect. I have to perform to perfection. That is what will prove to you that I am worthy of love. And we feel like if I can be perfect, I'll avoid shame. But the reality is this. That is not avoiding shame. Perfection is a function of shame. Because it's all about me trying to control what you think of me. Me trying to control... Control what you think about me. And that is addictive. If I'm less than perfect, you know what happens to someone who's struggling with this? Less than perfect, then that means they're irritated because it was less than perfect or they were less than perfect. When they are less than perfect, they are irritable. 
when they are less than perfect or see something that is less than perfect, they are inconsolable. It means there's nothing you can do or say to make it better. Why? Because it was less than perfect. And Paul says, no, no, no. Love is not irritable. It is not irritable, he says. So instead of the weapon of managing my perfect image, perhaps a better way to live is this. Self-compassion. It is okay to fail. You are going to fail sometimes. You are going to fall. You, this side of heaven, you're going to be less than perfect. Here's the next ego weapon. Duck and dodge. We seem to duck and dodge trying to avoid all vulnerability. Doing whatever we can to duck and to dodge and to to miss the discomfort side of relationships. To try to dodge conflict and stay away from confrontation. We'll do almost anything to avoid criticism, shame, and hurt. You see, we know the score and we know I am behind. And so we have to duck and dodge to avoid any more so that perhaps we can stay ahead or at least pretend to stay ahead. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. Love, it keeps no record of being wronged. It it keeps no scorecard. It doesn't rejoice in injustice, but here's what it rejoices in. Whenever truth wins out. So perhaps instead of the weapon of ducking and dodging, which avoids all truth at all costs. Perhaps a better response is straight talk and straight action. It takes a tremendous amount of strength for us to stop ducking and dodging and to turn around and try to face whatever truth it is that we've been running from. It's coming right at us. It saves a tremendous amount of emotional energy if we will stop dodging it and just turn around and begin to face it. You see, ducking and dodging, that's what leads us to hide, to pretend, to avoid, to rationalize, to procrastinate, to blame other people, to lie. And all of that just sucks the very energy out of our lives. When we are faced with the brutal facts, perhaps we need to go straight to them with questions and discover the straight, honest truth. Maybe that's the best response other than ducking and dodging. Here's another ego weapon. It's called numbing. Use all kinds of things to numb our lives. Food and drugs and alcohol or porn or sex, relationships, money, Excitement, shopping, anything, internet, Facebook, Instagram, all of anything can become a numbing agent in our life. And we all do this to some degree. And what we're doing is we're just kind of giving up. Okay, this is a reality of life. I give up. I can't do anything about it. So we just numb ourselves to that reality. We're so vulnerable to that when we are emotionally Hungry. I'm vulnerable to that when I'm physically hungry. True story. (laughs) Or emotionally hungry. Or when we are hurt, we are more vulnerable to trying to numb 
that pain. We're vulnerable when we are angry, vulnerable when we are lonely, we are vulnerable when we are tired. And the reality is we cannot pick and choose. I'm going to numb this emotion, but I won't numb that one. We don't pick and choose which type of emotion we will numb. If we numb the pain, we also numb all the joy. Just anything to take the edge off, and it takes the edge off of everything. In other words, I will do this blank, fill in the blank, because you made me mad. I will do this, whatever it is that numbs me. And that is just giving up. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Love never gives up. It never gives up. So maybe instead of the weapon of numbing, we should have a better response of living. One of the cures for numbing is for me to develop the practice instead of numbing that feeling or that emotion, leaning into that instead. Taking a step into it, taking a step toward it, and then eventually through it. And in order to do that, I have to stop and first ask myself, okay, I want to numb this, but why? What is it exactly that I'm feeling? I told you last week, I have had to create for myself. It's in my Google Drive, a document that gives me 800 words that list different ways I could feel. Because I am so far behind in this. I have the feeling capacity of an eighth grade boy. Which means this, you ask me how I feel. I have two responses one that I would reserve. How do you feel? Response number one, fine. How do you feel? Response number two, good. And on the inside, I might say, when they say, how do you feel? I might say, bad. That is the extent of my feeling vocabulary. But if I am going to stop numbing, if you're going to stop numbing, no matter how light or severe it may be, if we're going to start, stop numbing, we have to be able to identify what we're feeling. And for me, that means this. I have to have 800 words to help me describe bad. I feel bad. And I need to be able to learn what does bad mean. And so I have a list of 800 words. No, not that one. Not that one. Not that one. Next page. No, no. There. There. I feel disgusted. There. It's that word. If we're going to stop numbing, we have to learn to lean into that discomfort and figure, it is, figure out what it is that I'm feeling. And the second thing we have to do about numbing is we have to really then begin to find out what if numbing really does not bring me joy, which it does not. It numbs us. It does what it says. It numbs us to all of life. We have to figure out what is it then that does bring me real comfort. Not phony, fake comfort. Real comfort. And what brings me real renewal. 
And with God's help, we can begin living again instead of numbing. The next ego weapon is called living from hurt. Now this is really a big umbrella one that really catches a lot of things. Everything we were really talking about can fall into this one thing, but I just want to quickly mention it. Living from hurt. It's anything that we do to fill our self-worth gap. Meaning, I don't feel right about myself. I feel low. I, I, I don't feel worthy in any way. And so much of that feeling of worthlessness in all of our lives, all of our lives, most of that comes from our families as we have grown up. From within our families and our experiences in those relationships. Now that does two things for us. One thing, all sitting in here, some of you, all of us probably on some level are saying, you know what? You're right. I... My struggles with worthiness, you might be saying, yeah, I can trace back to something that happened in my childhood as I was growing up. But then the other thing, if you're a parent today, you gasp because you're thinking, oh, oh, my God, what have I done to my kids? And what have they experienced? This is a, a horrible potential realization for us, and it hurts. But all of us have tried to fill that self-worth gap. And here's how often we do this. And that's why we talk, talk about this living from hurt. From a place of hurt. And if I'm living from hurt, here's what I have a tendency to do at work. I have a tendency. I have a tendency, if I'm living from hurt, to insist that somehow, somehow, you make me feel better. To look to you to heal that hurt that I have. You didn't cause the hurt. I I got it probably growing up. But I need you to make it better. And so I look for you to heal that hurt in my life. And we can spend our entire lives looking to the wrong people to heal very real hurts. Parents, sometimes you look, we look to our children to heal our hurts that we experience as a child or as a teenager is growing up. And it creates any of this, it, it creates a disaster because we're looking in the wrong place. And it creates in our lives a never-ending search, always looking for someone else to heal a hurt that happened so, so long ago. And we're looking in the wrong place. And it creates a faithless life. We lose faith because no one, no one, can ever do for us what we really need and we lose faith, but we keep looking and keep looking for them to do it or somebody to do that. And Paul says, wait, no, 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 no. Love, love never loses faith. Perhaps, 
Instead of living from hurt, a better response for us is to live from heart. We have been looking for other people to make us feel normal. Just perhaps. We need to begin, and we've said this before in other weeks, we need to begin to invest a reasonable amount of time attending to those feelings and hurts that we have, or we will waste an unreasonable amount of time in our lives trying to manage unproductive and harmful behaviors. When we know how our own difficult and hard and hurtful stories, when we know what's going on with them and how they work and what happened, what's going on, then we can begin, instead of looking at someone else, to make our story better, we can begin ourselves with God's help to write new endings to our stories. And my friends, God will use what you have survived, what you have experienced, what has happened to you. He will Use that to help you become compassionate and empathetic. And if we don't own our stories from the past and begin to work through them with God's help, then those stories are going to own us and they will continue to drive our behavior and drive our emotions and drive our thinking. But with God's help, we can learn how to live from our heart that is being healed by Him. Here's the next ego weapon. It is when I try to force my worth I try to force you to see my value. See, when I feel hopeless, I'm going to keep doing things over and over and over again, hoping that you will see my value. And you know what it causes me to do? It causes me to jump in and do things that I have no business doing. To jump in and be in areas I have no business trying to be. It causes me, let me explain it a different way. It causes me, if I'm trying to force you to see my value, it causes me to try to play every position on the team. I want to be the pitcher. I want to be the catcher. I want to be first base, second base, third base, shortstop. I want to be the outfield. I want to play them all. And I'm going to play, and it may be your position, but I'm going to jump in and do it because I need you to see I have value. I'm going to force you to see that I have worth. And the root of that is that I feel hopeless and worthless. And Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a better way. Because love is always hopeful. 
just perhaps, instead of trying to force my worth with you, what if I change my focus and I reveal to you how valuable you are? Perhaps the most hope-filled thing that I can do is to help you see how strong you are and how much you add to life so that you can see your value. Perhaps that's a better way. There's another weapon about being critical and criticizing. We have a tendency to kind of take circumstances and And if we don't like them, we kind of give up and we just start finger pointing and criticizing. I'm not going to go into that anymore, but Paul says this. He says, no, 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 no. Love endures through every circumstance. So possibly instead of criticizing, we need to learn how to contribute. And I want to say in my life, and I bet you do too, that I contributed more than I criticized. Yesterday, we placed my mom in a casket, closed the lid, and put her in the ground. And I can say this about my mom. My mom contributed way more than she ever criticized. And my friends, we have to stop rewarding criticism. We have to Stop in our lives gathering up in the corner with someone who's critical and listening to them criticize all the people around you or the leadership in your office or the the people in your family. You have to stop giving that an ear. You have to stop, and I do too, stop rewarding criticism. Here's a good rule. If someone comes to you being critical, you should not listen to them unless unless they accompany that criticism with something they can do to improve it and to help and contribute. We have even asked people to leave the church before because of just a critical spirit just huddling up in the corners. Just saying, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this. Because it's a cancer. And it will destroy a family from the inside out. It will destroy your place of business from the inside out. It will destroy your home. May we be known as people in our families and at work and in our church family as people who contribute rather than people who criticize. And here's the reality. I'm gonna, I, as I ask the band to come up, we're ending with this. With the help of Jesus, Him in our lives, Him leading our lives with the help of Jesus. 
we can begin to combine some different parts of our lives and our bodies. We can begin to combine our thinking and combine that with our behaviors and our actions and combine that with all of the stuff from our past. And if that past includes junk and grossness, all of that junk from the past combined with our thinking and our behavior... So all the pieces of our past and all the circumstances we're in right now. So this is getting to be a pretty big pile. And then all of our future hopes and dreams. And bring those all together. All of those together make up one big complex person. One very messy person. But you take all of that and you put it in Christ and you become in Him a very whole person. And Paul says, in Christ there is a way that is best of all. This week, we simply have one next step. And you're going to hate it. <laughs> one next step. I'm just asking this week. Will you simply listen to this teaching again? Not because I'm good. Because I, I know better. Here's why. Listen to this teaching again, either on Facebook Live or on SoundCloud. Here's why. And say, God, will you help me to recognize? Because the first time we hear it, we kind of armor up a little bit. We say, no, no, that's not me. And we put it behind us. We duck and we dodge. Or we weaponize and we just slice it down. Not me. Uh-uh. I'm right. Not me. The first time we hear it, we kind of put our hands up. But will you listen again and say, God, help me to recognize. Just one thing. There's probably several for us. But just one thing, God, help me to recognize one thing, one area of my personality that I weaponize and I use it for massive self-destruction. Will you help me to recognize it? And then, God, help me to see what Paul was saying. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a way that is best of all. And then maybe help me to take a step this week toward that way that is best of all. Will you do that? That's my hope. One step. That's all this week. Let's pray. God, you have shown us that way that is best of all. It is a love that is patient and kind. A love that is not jealous, it is not boastful, it is not full of pride, it is not rude. A love that does not demand its own way, it is not irritable, it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Your love, it is a love that never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and God, it endures through every circumstance. That love, God, Help us to take a step with that love this week. In Jesus' name.